0: hello friends and welcome this is episode 20 of syracuse sports my name is brent Dax. great to have you here did i just say episode 20 of syracuse sports we've hit the 20 mark already fantastic so if you've listened to one two three four five or all 20 we appreciate that we would also appreciate if you subscribe Spotify, Apple, YouTube, Amazon, wherever you get your podcasts, subscribe, follow, and that way you get new episodes delivered to you when they happen. All presented by our friends at Krause Health, the exclusive healthcare provider of SU Athletics. Uh, another quick reminder for you here that uh, Emily Liker and I, my colleague from Syracuse.com, we've been doing it live after every Syracuse football game we're giving you post game coverage which you can see live on youtube subscribe to syracuse orange sports put it up here on the screen for you if you're watching on youtube so you can see where to subscribe to subscribe in order to see us live live on our facebook page as well syracuse orange football on syracuse.com but if you can't catch us live which is great because that way your comments get in there hey we do the podcast thing as well. But after every SU football game, it's Emily and I. So next one is coming Saturday after the Orange take on North Carolina. Of course, Syracuse is looking to bounce back after that loss to Clemson this week, entering a, uh, a brutal stretch here. Lost to Clemson, North Carolina, Florida State, both those two on the road. So we'll see how the Orange can swing it there. And Emily and I will be with you not only live, but on podcast form and here on YouTube as well. We have a voicemail line. If you want to leave us a voicemail, get it off your chest when you're watching Syracuse sports and just got to vent a little bit. That's what the voice line's there for, 315-552-1964. We had a fun voicemail. Shout out to Bill from Cortland, who was feeling it at halftime, had to get it off his chest a little bit, and we played the voicemail on the post-game show after the Clemson game. So you can get in touch with me there on Twitter, of course, as well at Brent Axe Media, and our email is bx at Syracuse.com. Now. It's incredible to think about that the Syracuse crunch are entering their 30th year in central New York. Now, those of you that go back in the day, and I'm going to show you this shirt that I'm wearing here. This is a Syracuse Bulldog shirt. Okay, of course, from the movie Slapshot. But that movie was based on the old hockey leagues in the 1970s, including in Syracuse, New York, when... The stories my father told me about what happened in the War Memorial stands, my eyes bugged out. My mouth hit the floor. Like, what are you talking about? And we could do a whole podcast on those stories. Maybe we should, given this is the 30th anniversary of the Syracuse Crunch. But despite that and those great stories, Syracuse became somewhat of a hockey graveyard, right? There were just too many professional hockey teams that did not work here. So there was a long period of time where there was not a professional hockey team here. So to think about we're entering the 30th year of the Syracuse crunch here in Syracuse, after the failures of some teams that came before them, you can't take that for granted that you've got a professional franchise here entering year 30, the ups and downs, the trials and tribulations, how professional sports have changed, but there they have been the whole time. And to think about year 30, that's pretty darn special. I was there on September 30th 1994 opening night and this was that the fall so the New York Rangers had just won the Stanley Cup in June right and this was the fall after that this was the season that followed and at the time now date myself a little bit here I was a sophomore in high school at the time I wasn't a huge hockey fan and one of the reasons I was not a hockey fan was we didn't have a team here. I didn't even know. My, my dad and I drove to some Utica Devils games back in the day. Marty Burdor used to play for the Devils uh, back at the time. But I wasn't a huge hockey guy because I just didn't really have a reason to. I didn't play hockey. We didn't have a hockey team around. It just wasn't on my radar. From that moment forward, when my dad brought me to that game, I was hooked. I was in. And I have been a big hockey fan, not just of the teams that I follow but just of the sport since. And it wasn't just the sport. It was the way the Crunch presented, not only that night, but have continued to do over the years. They were the first American Hockey League team to do an outdoor game. They did the Carrier Dome game in 2014. 30,000 people watching hockey in the Dome. The various promotions and celebrities and giveaways and just how the Crunch have, from day one, appealed to the fan made it worth your money to go, and that's why they're here 30 years later. That's why hockey works in this town. And the man that's been behind it the whole time, who came in as an outsider and now just, he can say it, it's our town, right, Syracuse, New York, is Howard Dolgan, the owner of the Syracuse Crunch. Howard and I walked down memory lane a little bit, things that have worked, things that didn't. When is the Crunch going to do that one thing they really haven't in 30 years Win the Calder Cup. That's pretty much the only thing that's missing. We also uh, covered some interesting ground on the future. How long can the Crunch play in the War Memorial as it stands now? There is going to be a push here to maybe build a new facility in Syracuse, New York. And Howard is one of the voices saying it's time to do that. So we had a wide ranging conversation. I know you'll enjoy it. Howard is always great to catch up with terrific storyteller and you know just somebody that knows the professional sports business well. And he's got a hockey team turning thirty years old here in Syracuse this year when the crunch Drop the puck on the 2023-24 season. Opening night is October 14th, and uh, the Crunch will do it right. There'll be a whole lot of events happening that night and a big celebration of hockey in this town 30 years later. So uh, what do you say we talked to Howard Dolgan about all this? Okay, Howard Dolgan, I want you to picture this. It's September 30th, 1994, and I magically appear at your side on opening night And I tap you on the shoulder and I say, Howard, I am from the future. I am from 30 years in the future. And I just want you to know that this hockey team is still doing it. What would you have said?
1: I would have probably said, yeah, I figured that, you know, I mean, we, uh, you know, from day one, we made a commitment for the long haul and we were faced with a lot of skepticism and and critics and doubters. And it was for a number of reasons. I mean, one which was legitimate was that teams had failed miserably, several of them over a short period of time in the market. Uh, That was a legitimate reason for people to be skeptical about us. The other one, which was a little disappointing always to me was, you know, we were viewed as, you know, the, the big city people, you know, I had an office in New York. I ran a business in New York. I lived on Long Island, and the skepticism was, well, you know, they're going to get tired of this small town and take their team and leave. And there were there were some people who were, you know, for whatever reason, would write totally false things on the internet about, you know, I was spotted somewhere <laughs> meeting with another <laughs> arena that I had never been to and. You know, they heard from a reliable source that we were leaving. And and that really was probably the first three, four or five years. And uh, that was the more disappointing thing. But, you know, when we committed to the market back in 93, really, to try to get the team, and then when, when it became a reality in 94, May in 94, it was, hey, we're, we're, gonna, we're gonna live in that market, we're gonna grow the market, and we're gonna prove people wrong and the fact that it had failed miserably so many times really for us was incentive to make it work when other people couldn't and you know it is still a challenge like any owning any sports team should be but you know where we're still standing you know 30 years later
0: howard let's remind people how it ended up here why syracuse was the market you ended up with where you are just looking to buy a team in any sport where you focused on hockey? Why did it end up Syracuse, New York, 1993, you start an American hockey league franchise here.
1: So to make a real long story short, I had, uh, you know, I had a sports PR marketing agency in Manhattan, and I had a client black velvet whiskey, which was a, a whiskey brand predominant in the Northeast, you know, in Syracuse, Buffalo. And, uh, at the time, the brand manager asked me if I would negotiate. They had been approached by the American Hockey League, which at the time was really primarily in the North, Northeast and in uh, Eastern Canada, Would I help negotiate a deal with the American League's VP of marketing. So the guy came into my office, a guy named Bob Barablow, and ironically, my partner, Alan Taylor, knew Bob because Bob had interned for him in World Team Tennis. The first version of it was Billie Jean King. How about that? Way back when. So Bob wanted, you know, a ridiculous amount of money for the sponsorship. He settled for about uh, 20% of what he wanted. But we struck up a good friendship. He knew I was a big hockey fan. I I had rangers season tickets at the time. And uh, so we kept in touch. And, you know, we were working on a sponsorship together. And then uh, a few months later, he said, hey, he called me up and said, hey, you know, listen, I'm going to throw this out there. I know you're a big hockey guy. There's an opportunity in Syracuse, New York. Uh, would you be interested in owning a team there? And he said, listen, it's a great location. You know, we had at the time Adirondack, Albany, Binghamton, and Rochester in the league. You'd be the fifth New York State team. He said the only issue, there are several issues there. One, they have no ownership group. Uh, two, it's a building that's pretty old that had done some renovation, with but mostly on its ice surface, you know, and, and got rid of a lot of asbestos and replaced some seating. So he said, but if you want, you know, I will set up a meeting with, for you, county executive, mayor, people who run the building, and a guy named Brian Elwell, he said, who, you know, was a former player, but he was leading the local grassroots effort and had been doing it for years. So I'm like, sure, you know. Uh, so I called Vasily up. I said, uh, how'd you like to take a flight with me to Syracuse? We met Nick Piero. We met Ed Cochin. Uh, Peter Capicelli was representing the, the local business group up there. Peter, who became the director of the State Fair. And uh, Brian Elwell. And then we met with the people running the building at the time. And we left saying, you know what? Like, I, I spent my career at that time in PR. I've been in it since 81, it's about 12 years. And I spent it promoting events, big boxing matches, Olympics, World Cup, but primarily representing big companies that are involved in sports. And I said, well, if I could do that with other brands, what can I do with my own? So we we walked away, we we reached an agreement, uh, an exclusive window to try to bring a team in. Uh, I put together an ownership group, which is pretty easy to do. Peter helped me get some local interest. I thought that was important. It was a small portion was local money. And we said, okay, let's, let's find an NHL partner. At the time though, there were two minor leagues. There was the international league, which was in big markets like Chicago, Detroit, Minnesota, Utah, Uh, they were in Long Beach, San Diego. And there was the American League, which was like I mentioned in, in the Northeast Corridor of North America, and in smaller cities. And the American League was looked at as more of a league that was developing future talent. The International League had established NHL players that were past their prime, but there were names, and combined there were probably thirty-two to thirty-four teams. And at the time, there I think there were only like maybe twenty-six or twenty-eight nationally team, so, you know, it didn't work, right? You would have some teams without affiliates. And the, Ameri- and the American League, couldn't do that. So what we had to do was, the, the biggest thing we had to do was find a partner. So I got tipped off by a guy named Tom Mitchell, who had was the owner of the Biginton Rangers at the time, that there were problems in Hamilton. Uh, the local ownership group was running out of money, Vancouver Canucks were the affiliate there. And so I reached out to George McPhee, who was the assistant general manager for Vancouver at the time. Long story short, George and I kept in touch. We kept in touch. The local ownership group in Hamilton were belly up. So Vancouver took it over for the remainder of the season. George and I kept in touch. I reached out to a number of other teams, had some significant conversations, but I always felt... the most serious and the best opportunity was to be vancouver and finally i kept getting extensions from from the county Mm -hmm. i said listen i'm I'm being honest here's where i'm at like i'm coming i'm going down the road i'm going to get this done but i need more time and they kept believing in us and finally in early may or late april actually ironically i was at a hockey game in tampa and they were playing at the time in the baseball stadium. And I had negotiated with Tampa a deal. Phyllis Mazzito was the president of the team at the time. And when he sent his counter offer in by fax to my office, <laughs> it was so off based on anything we could do that I politely declined it. Well, wow. fast forward, I'm in Tampa or Clearwater, Florida for a uh, a beach volleyball event that a client of mine was sponsoring and I got invited to the game by the, the new president of the lightning. This is going back to 94.
0: So when the lightning first came into the league, right? Right.
1: Yeah. And I'm sitting in his suite and he says, you know, I wish you had dealt with me, we need to be in Syracuse. And I said, well, I'll be honest, I'm very far down the road with Vancouver. And, and just during that conversation, my people went off. And it was a 604 number, which is Vancouver. So I, it turned out it was the CFO of the Canucks, who we were negotiating the final deal points. And he said, we're done. We got a deal. So I remember, wow. going, back, I remember going back into Sweden saying, listen, I, I want to be totally transparent with you. I just closed the deal with the Canucks. You can't tell anybody because I haven't been approved by the league. but And he, he was good about it. And then a week later, we're in Boston, and, uh, you know, we get the green light. And that night I fly to Syracuse, and the next day we have a press conference with about fifteen to 1,700 people there.
0: There's so a great. lot there, Howard. That's incredible. I don't think yeah. you and I have spoken many times over the years. I don't think I've ever heard that story That because yeah. it, it comes full circle because obviously now the Tampa Bay Lightning are your affiliate, but they could have been from the beginning, and you would have two expansion teams Coming in together, wow, that's incredible to hear. I love the beeper and the fax machine references and, and how yeah. time changes through you're doing business. But here we are, 30 years later, right after you get on the ground, the team comes, you have an incredible opening night, and just there's there's so much that I'm sure you're reflecting on after 30 years, and we're going to see that celebrated through the season. But now that you're here at year 30, why? And you you said it at the beginning, like you're taking over, and you had incentive to revive a hockey ghost town so why does hockey work here now
1: well i think you know what we what was important to us was to dig deep into the grassroots right away and, and, and grow the youth hockey program and it, it really skyrocketed pretty early on you know having a pro team in town you know really energized younger kids to hey i want to play hockey right at the same time you know we came in the league, uh, the Rangers won a cup in '94. You know they beat Vancouver of all teams, and uh, you know Bettman had taken over as commissioner. So you now had a business person running the sport instead of hockey people. And I think you know the the, the profile of the sport when the Rangers won the cup, covered Sports Illustrated. You know that was the timing. We we we, we were fortunate in that respect, and. You know, the growth of the NHL and the subsequent growth of the American League where we we actually brought teams in, about six teams in for the IHL, and that league went away, it kind of strengthened our league. And I always felt that the people in Syracuse, I always compared us to like Green Bay, right? Like that little market that could. And when it came time to do special events like the first ever outdoor game, Right. Or even, or even before that, hosting the All-Star game in just our third year. Right. Then the first ever outdoor game and people here's the, here's the thing about the outdoor game. When the NHL does it, the league really does it. The league has the resources, the staffing. When we did the game, it was the same staff that had to do the other 30. Everything programs. else.
0: Yeah. Run a season and everything you normally do. Right. Yeah.
1: So the cooperation we got there for the county, I mean, you know, we had we had convicts shoveling snow the day before <laughs> the game. <laughs> and the truth, and, they, and the convicts were basically putting the extra uh, bleachers together, you know, little things like that that we had done. You know, we do that in 2014, we turn around and do the first ever pro game in the Dome, set the record, and it was always... Why not Syracuse? Like, why can't we have the same events they had at Fenway Park, right, the outdoor game? Why can't we do the big indoor games like they do in Michigan and other, other markets? So, you know, I always felt that we, we, we were a minor league team, but we should never treat it like a minor league event. And, and that was from day one. Like, people in Syracuse deserved the big time. And I think there was, you know, when we came in, and again, the New York PR guy and all that stuff, there was some positives to that, Because people were excited that we had the mindset to be different, and, but we still had to deliver, right? And And hopefully we'll continue to perform above expectations.
0: Howard, you hit on a couple of big ones there. The outdoor hockey game, the first one at the AHL level, and this was 2009. This was when these things were just becoming a concept again.
1: 2010. 2010, 2010
0: right. And you led the way on that in the American Hockey League, the, the Dome game, which was Hockey Town USA for a day. It was an incredible experience to see 30,000 people watching hockey in that facility. So those are big events and, and things that you're known for. You've done so many promotions over the years, and, and we could check a lot of boxes here. So maybe it's one of those things, but let me ask you this 30 years later, what are you most proud of?
1: You know, probably bringing hockey back to Syracuse and, 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 you know, I probably could have said that when I first came, because I was a, you know, I was an outsider to the market. Right. But getting to know people, business leaders, community leaders, fans, watching children grow up in our arena over 30 years, Families that take their kids, and every year I turn around, and you know now they're married and they have children. So being able to bring a sport that I love, and I think is probably the most exciting sport to watch in person, uh, and, if, and 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 to for people to be able to enjoy it, that probably is the overall most satisfying thing. Now, there are events, certainly, that, you know, like you mentioned, I mean, probably the outdoor game, because we were the first, and there was so much risk with the, the weather, and really not knowing if people would want to go to an outdoor game. Like, you know, you know, you you go through the airport, right? And people would tell me after we announced it, oh, we're coming. But, you know, you never know, right? But then, you know, after tickets were on sale, like we knew. Same thing with the Dome game. Like we knew, we knew within a week that we were killing it, you know, because of the initial reaction. But, you know, when you do big events like that, you are taking a risk. You're taking a chance for sure.
0: What are some things? Because, Howard, you're not, never afraid to try things and get out there and, and let's do it and let's see it. And that's an example of one that worked well. And maybe you didn't know until he showed up and and there's 30,000 people at the Dome. There's a, a state fairgrounds full, a, a grandstand that no longer exists, by the way, as time has passed. Yeah. Here. What are some of the things, though, you tried that you're you're glad you did, but maybe they didn't quite work?
1: Well, one for sure, that, you know, we, we had a group, like a, I think it was a 70s group called the Jets, that actually had three or four or five, eight hit songs. But the mistake we made with them was they played after the game right and i think we lost the game people just wanted to get home oh boy so we had you know we had a, i think we had a sold out crowd and yet we had maybe 300 people at the concert you know but then you look back when we had the village people we actually we lost our game i think to Albany 7 to 1 nobody left right so it, it was it was obviously there was a a greater affinity for the village people than it were for the Jets, right? That group. And I think that you know I don't regret really trying anything. To be honest with you, you know it's it, it's still a learning experience. You know I I think Jim like Jim Storace and I were speaking my last trip in this week. I mean last week about just remaining edgy, right? Like always try to be out in front, and when you when you do that you're doing things that are done a lot of times for the first time. So you're really taking a chance on it. And you're trying to judge the market. And what did P.T. Barnum once said, no one ever went broke, underestimated the taste of the American public. Right? And they did outlandish. But, you know, it's outlandish, but it's still going to be tempered somewhat. Right? And what's happened in, in our game is the hockey just gotten so damn good like we're the second best league in the world and you can you can be at our game and if you didn't know it was the national league you think it was that's how fast the game is that's how skilled the players are and with the price point being just so affordable and, and affordable especially compared to major league sports so i'll give you an example so i uh Unfortunately I'm a Giant fan, a New York football fan. <laughs> yeah, right now that's, and it is, that's listen. Uh, that's not good. You, like you gotta take the good with the bad, right? And last night was as bad as it could be, hopefully, right? They're a bad they're a bad football team. But uh, one of my sons lives in uh, South Florida where I am, right? So I'm like let's go to the Giant Miami game Sunday, right? Miami's a great place to watch a game, it's a great stadium. I don't know if you've been there, but you know, you go in shorts, how bad could it be? It's it's great. So, with it, the man. Dolphins being so good, it's not easy, you know. Getting tickets, you know, there's a demand for them, right? And when the Giants come down here, it's still probably going to be 50% Giant fans. So I called a buddy of mine who used to who worked for us in Syracuse, who works for the Giants now. I said, "Listen, I want to buy, I want to buy tickets. I need five. And he said, "Okay, I'll, I'll call I'll call my counterpart at the Dolphins." So he sent me. The options. And I bought two tickets and they're okay seats. But you have any idea what they cost?
0: Can I take it? can I take, a, take guess? a guess? Yeah. So they're okay seats. Like you said, Miami's a little more in demand. A lot of giant fans there.
1: And I got face value on the seats though.
0: I'm gonna say five hundred dollars.
1: Five fifteen. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Wow. And I'm taking and I'm taking two of my sons. We do a giant road trip every year. So we're going to Vegas. And I went through the giant contact, gave me the ticket manager of Vegas. And I'm in the corner on the second level at 410 a ticket. Jeez.
0: So just getting in, yeah.
1: Right, so when you're, when you're coming to Seattle games at 25 bucks or if you buy it as a group for 18 bucks, I mean, and you see the kind of quality, you're realizing you're getting value, right? That's what I'm, and more and more now you realize that the you know the, the major leagues are just they're out of they're out of control. And I think it's amazing go, that, they that they get, get some of the attendance that they do.
0: It really yeah. is. Yeah, yeah and you, you brought up the value of it, and you know there's some nights you're coming to downtown Syracuse. It's ten degrees out, and while well, you don't have too long of a walk. Like that's a challenge <laughs> to get people to do these things, and if you can give them the value they're looking for that's what you continue to do. But I did want to ask you about the building because part of the value of, of, and the demand for a crunch game is there's only a certain amount of seats, right? You're in a 6,000 seat facility. What is kind of the conversation about playing at the war Memorial? Now I certainly some improvements have been made and I think it's up to the best standards that can be given the age of the facility, but we're thinking about 30 years in, let's think about going ahead another 10, 20, 30 years. What's gonna to have to happen with the War Memorial for you to continue to play there, have it be up to the standards of the American Hockey League and continue to be the value that you're talking about? So first
1: and foremost, like we, we greatly appreciate what the county has done, beginning with Dick Pierrette coaching, Joni Mahoney and, and, and Bill Fisher and now Ryan McMahon and and his numerous deputies. Uh, You know, they stepped up when we needed upgrades, uh, both to the, the, what people see, so the suites, the scoreboards, and then what people don't see, which are our training facilities downstairs, which probably rival a lot of NHL, especially, you know, we have a, a video theater now that seats 25, it's like you're at the movies, right? So they've done, and they've been very gracious in in doing what they can to take these, what exists and make it better. I, I think we all know that at the end of the day, you know, we all want a new facility, not just for the crunch, but for those 30 or 40 concerts that are, are not stopping in Syracuse because there's nowhere for them to play. There's nowhere. Uh, and not just concerts, other events. I mean, we are in the center of the state, right? And whether it's youth hockey championships or youth basketball championships, or so many things. I mean, I've had conversations with my friend, John Wildtack, that if we had a new building, we'd love to have the women's SU hockey team, D1, play. and 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 And, and John would support that, you know? So there are so many more events you could put in the building. It's just a matter of, you know, how do we get this done? Now, to me, the timing could not be better. You've got uh, a great commitment from Micron, you know, over the next, what, seven or eight years, you're going to have 45,000 jobs, which means you're going to have probably another 130, 150,000 people living in Syracuse. I mean, that's going to, you know, increase the capacity by, what, probably 30% of the population. That's a lot. I mean, it's affecting schools, Big affecting restaurants, yeah. and everything. But it's also going to affect, okay, how do we entertain these people? You know, you know we want everyone to be happy living here. And it's quality of life. So at some point, you know, and, and, and we started having those discussions hypothetically, and we brought in, a you know, uh, some people to look into what a new arena would cost, where would we put it? There are options. And I think it's something that should and will get supported as long as the economics work, right? Nobody wants to go into debt. Nobody wants, everyone wants someone else to pay for this.
0: right? Sure, yeah.
1: where the state kicked in 800 million for the new Buffalo Stadium. And, you know, listen, they didn't want to lose the bills. It's too important in Buffalo. So, you know, I think it's something certainly that we're discussing now. We actually had meetings on it when I was in town on Friday. Uh, We'll continue to push it forward aggressively. And I see no reason why everyone should not get around this, both the politicians, the business leaders, and the people in the community who are going to benefit from it. This is not about the crunch. You know, we're going to be a tenant in there, right? We're going to host... Anywhere from 36 to 50 events, which is great. Right. But concerts, circus, wrestling, you know, the list goes on and on and on. And, you know, that's what it's about. And town deserves it. Syracuse deserves it. Right. The people there are great, hardworking people. You know, proud of where they live. I've learned that over 30 years. The people are wonderful. They test you, you know. They're not quick to trust you. It took a long time for them to trust me and us. But once they do, they're loyal. They are fiercely loyal. And they are passionate. And that's why our fans are among the best in the league. Or among the best in all of hockey, I should say. Because of the passion and the care factor.
0: And Howard, I was struck by something you just said there, because you came in as an outsider and had to earn that trust. You said, "Our town." Yeah. Right. I think I think you earned that after 30 years
1: then, that you could know,
0: that you could say that. One of what? The, I
1: wish I had counted my hotel nights from day one, <laughs> because I'm thinking at, at the least, at the least, I've averaged 50 a year. So you're looking at 1,500 hotel nights, which is roughly four years, right? So That's four years, you know, that's a long time, a lot of time spent there, you know, and I've enjoyed most of it for sure. You know, I said when we lose a game, the starting game in overtime at home, um, um, I feel terrible for days, because I'm still a fan. Like I'm, um, I you know, I'm I'm a fan like the other six thousand people at the game, and the people who see me at the games know that. Oh yeah, I, I I'm like it's a, it's emotional for two and a half hours for me, and I wouldn't have it any other way, you know.
0: Well, that leads me to my next and my last point with you here, Howard. We've talked about everything that's led up to this point, a lot of things beyond the game, events surrounding the game. Let's end on a hockey note here because there's one thing missing right and that's the calder cup you've had two shots at it you have an incredible organization that you're affiliated with now of course in tampa bay who the crunch have sent a number of players to the tampa bay lightning in that affiliation and you have spoken uh so warmly about that that partnership and that track record speaks for itself in, in this organization that's all that's left though is to get that Calder Cup back to Syracuse. The first team to win the Calder Cup in 1936, the old Syracuse Stars. That's all that's left, and and that's got to be frustrating in this sense, Howard. That's the one thing you don't control, right? That's that's all on Tampa to, to make that happen for you.
1: Well, I mean, we don't, and, and nor do any of the American League affiliates, but we, we do have the relationship where we are talking about players, and, you know, they've always... Listened, you know, at the end of the day it's their decision. I understand that. But I also know they have a partner that actually wants us to win a quarter cup, that realizes the importance, and they've seen the when players play in the kind of games in the world Cup playoffs in the finals, how they mature. And you see how that translates into winning Stanley Cups. And you can name so many players that you know from Tyler Johnson to Yanni Gord and Andre Pallad and you know Andre Vasilevsky, Nikita Kucherov for a short time Brandon Point on and on and on, you know Eric Chernak, the list goes on, so they understand the formula that you need. But here's what you also need: you need to get lucky, you need to be healthy, you need to get a good goaltending, and you know you need to pick at the right time. And we did it twice. And, you know, it, it, you know, I always look back at the first year and, you know, no excuses, but Racko Gutis blowing out his D in a 7 nothing semifinal clinching game to only miss the first five games of the finals and then come back and be ineffective in game six. You know, what happens if he doesn't get hurt, right? I mean, at the time he was a number one D-man.
0: He's still fierce, in the NHL, as we and, speak. And a, yeah. and a
1: fierce player. So, you know, you know, a puck goes off a defenseman's butt, goes in to decide game six. So, man, it is hard. It's hard, really, for the players, because they're not flying private. They're playing intense games over a two-month period. And you, you go into the dressing room after the game, and, you know, you see the ice packs, and, the emotion, knowing, you know, they got practice the next day, or they got to get on a bus or a commercial flight. So every year we go in with optimism. We've got every reason to be optimistic with our our partners and, you know, got to get first to the playoffs. And then, you know, all those other factors become real. Health, luck, and goaltending, you know. It's a hell of a combination.
0: That's what it comes down to. But
1: it it really does. You need, you know, you need to have normally the better goaltender at the right time, you know, and, you know, you see it in the NHL and and again, you see, you know, Tampa's two rings, you know, Mr. Vasilevsky is, there's a reason why he won the MVP, Right
0: the reason he's going to the hall of fame now yeah, yeah. exactly yeah. and it all started for him in syracuse yeah. on a very long list of players
1: yeah
0: howard is always great to catch up with you congratulations on 30 years i'm excited to see uh the year-long celebration and hearing some of the old names coming back and honoring some of those fans that have been there from day one there's going to be yep. so much more here to come and reflecting back on it, but we're also looking forward uh, to the next 30 years and and what's to come on that. But uh, we uh, thank you so much for your time today, coming on with us here on Sierra sports and, you know, we'll do it again soon, my friend.
1: And you know, it's always good talking to you because you know, you're a guy. I'm not saying this because we're talking, but you have always been tough, but fair. You're not a a journalist who, you know, wants to win a popularity contest. You want to, You want to, you want to, you know, report and give your commentary, whether we agree or not, but you've, uh, you're prepared always and you're fair and you're, uh, you know, you're a rarity nowadays in, in, uh, in journalism. So we appreciate you. And hopefully, you know, hopefully you'll be there the 14th.
0: Thank you. I will definitely be there throughout the year. I was there on opening night. September 30th, 1994, and and we'll be yeah. there to witness it all here in year 30. And thank you for the nice comments and for coming on with us, Howard. We'll do it again soon, my friend. I hope so, buddy. Thanks. Thanks for listening to Episode 20 of Syracuse Sports. Please subscribe. Spotify, Apple, YouTube, Amazon, wherever you get your podcasts to make sure you get new episodes delivered to you when they are available. Do not forget... Syracuse football post game show following the orange and the tar heels. It's a 3 30 kickoff. So, Emily and I, at probably about nine o'clock Saturday night ish, just be on the lookout for the notifications. We'll do it live. But if you can't catch us live on YouTube or Facebook, Twitter, of course, you can get it in post game form as we have been doing throughout the season. Don't forget about our voicemail line at 315 552 1964. Find me on Twitter, Brent Ax Media. You can always send an email B A X E at Syracuse.com. Thanks to our friends at Krause Health, the exclusive healthcare provider of Syracuse Athletics. Thanks to Howard Dolgan for joining us, and thanks to you for listening as well. That's been episode 20 of Syracuse Sports coming up in episode 21 later this week. My guy JJ, John Justremsky, Syracuse alum, passionate Syracuse fan. Now one of the leading voices when it comes to New York sports. And boy, is there a lot to talk about there. Mets and Yankees, not in the playoffs. Giants and Jets, not looking so good right now. So JJ from the New York, New York podcast, he's certainly got a lot to talk about on his show. And we're going to talk to him about all that coming up on our next episode. So I hope you can tune in for that. In the meantime, thanks for hanging with us here on episode 20. We'll talk to you next time.